Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Still in Oslo, Norway at NDC and in the fishbowl. Scott Vlashen is here. We're going to talk to him about F-sharp and functional programming, I'm sure. F-sharp will come up. But first, we have this little thing that we call Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? A very appropriate namespace. Oh. System.collections.immutable. Interesting. Yeah. And this is just part of this framework now, is it? Yeah. It's in .NET 4.5. Okay. And interfaces and classes that define immutable collections, like immutable array of t.builder, a writable array accessor that can be converted into an immutable array of t instance without allocating extra memory. So, you know, you have some data that you want to just use, but you don't want to change. There you go. System.collections.immutable. And there's dictionaries and hash sets and lists and sorted dictionaries and sorted sets and all of that stuff. Lots of choices. Lots of choices. And the real question is, what does it give us if we go immutable? Is there actually some tooling built in it that's actually going to do good things? Well, you know, immutability is a really good way to do asynchronous programming and to do multi-threaded programming because, you know, you, that's where you really get in trouble. And I'm sure our guests can fill us in on more of the details. But uh, but there you go. I awesome. Think, I think that's a good find and we'll, we'll learn more about how to use it, I'm sure. All right. Yeah, who's talking to us, buddy? Grab your comment off of show 1375, which we did back in November of 2016, talking to Scott Nimrod about F-sharp for mobile development. Yeah. Lots of comments on the show, uh, some mobile-related, some not, and some you know very focused on functional. This comment comes from Adam Wright, who says, Great show. I think Scott made some excellent points about F-sharp here. I have played with F-sharp a bit after work for a few months now. My admittedly immature view about functional programming is that the goal is to separate functions that change state from functions that don't. Most functions probably won't change state at all. In OO, in my opinion, it's all about how we build software for the inevitable change. Encapsulation, for example, lets us only expose the contracts of the rest of the world that we want them to depend on. And the same for polymorphism. These things allow us to change and write new codes so that our contracts are still intact but the behavior of the system can change to meet our new requirements. The language you choose, C-sharp or F-sharp, as two specific examples neither restrict you from using OO principles like encapsulation, nor functional principles like separating methods of functions that can change state to methods of functions that don't. You can do functional OO, because OO doesn't mean you have to have classes, although F-sharp supports them. You can do functional programming C-sharp also. And as mentioned by others, F-sharp can interop with any .NET library, not just those written in F-sharp. Yeah. F-sharp is C-sharp without all the ceremony. I don't know. I think it's more different than that. Uh, Mads and crew on the C-sharp and VB design team, I think, believe this too is they're removing more and more ceremony for the C-sharp language with each release. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Wouldn't argue that. Yep. Uh, one example is expression-bodied members and expression-bodied functions. Hmm. This is very similar to how you program in F-sharp. No curly braces, no side effects, just functional expressions. And they've also started to add pattern matching, proper tuple support. F-sharp isn't that hard to get started in. It's all the .NET you'd like and know. And with simpler syntax and very little ceremony, thanks again for the great show. Yeah. All right. No argument with me there, Adam. Right. I think it's uh, definitely making some progress. Uh, we definitely had shows where we didn't talk about functional C-sharp as a programming style. It's just a question of whether the tooling's making it easier or harder for you to pull it off. Yeah, that's right. 
And so a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We don't change them at all. <laughs> immutable tweets. Immutable tweets. I like Tweets that. are immutable. There actually. it is. You cannot edit them. Are they? Are they really? I guess you can delete them. You can delete them. You can't change them. That's true. Once they're out there, they're there. They're out there. Uh, unless there's some technology that I'm missing. You right. Know, like we tweetrecall.com or something. Yeah. I don't tweet know. Tweet it. Who knows? Anyway, let's uh, bring on our esteemed guest today. Scott Vlashen has over 20 years experience in software development, design, and architecture, covering all aspects of business software. He's the creator of the popular F-Sharp website, fsharpforfunandprofit.com. And has done many F-Sharp presentations at conferences and user groups all around the world. Welcome, Scott. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you. I love F-Sharp for fun and profit. That's awesome. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> How long has this thing been around? Actually, I think I started it in 2012. Okay. So maybe five years. And I started it, first of all, I recommend that everyone who's thinking about writing a blog should actually start writing a blog. People told me that you should write a blog, and it's been the best thing that I did. No wow. kidding. And one of the reasons I started it is I wanted to learn F-sharp myself because I didn't know anything about F-sharp. Mm. And the best way to learn something is to explain it to somebody else. Sure. So if I write down, it's like, okay, how do I explain this? And I do it. And that's what I did. Basically, every post was some feature that I figured out and I sort of documented for myself right. and other people have found it useful. That's, that's great. I think Scott Hanselman said that once as well, that he writes his blog as his own record keeping for himself. Yeah, sometimes I Google things and I come back to my own blog and say, like, oh, that was really useful. I'm, yeah. I'm glad I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got to be a moment when, you, when yeah, you, yeah. you Google for something and find your own blog. I do, right. on it. I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I forget things six months later sure. and it's like, it's nice to when I've learned something, to put it down on paper, as it were. Yeah, and so that one I would say that's luxury, right? That you can actually get it out of your head because you yes, have it somewhere else. exactly. Exactly, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it's very, very compelling. Where do you come from in terms of programming? Because, you I mean, F-sharp, you've only come to the past few years. Yeah, but before I was, that, I, when I started programming in the late 1980s, mm -hmm. and the first programming language I ever did was DBase 2 uh, on a K-Pro, so that, nice. that sort of dates me. Made me made DBase made me a lot of money. Yeah, DBase, <laughs> I, actually, I think DBase 2 is actually a great language oh, for sure? learning. Mm. And then I did Turbo Pascal, and then mm. I started getting, I always like learning new languages, so I learned Prolog, right. nice. and I learned a language called Icon, which is influential on Python, and mm. then I really got into Smalltalk, of all yeah. things. So I've gone from one extreme to the other. Yeah, like the no, most right. you language. like changing gears. Well, actually, I still love Smalltalk, and I highly recommend everyone learn Smalltalk, because the, the kind of object-oriented programming you do in C-sharp or Java or whatever, mm -hmm. to me, that's not object-oriented programming. Yeah. Real object-oriented. So I'm going to be an object-oriented programming snob <laughs> and say, you're not doing real object-oriented programming until you've used Smalltalk. It's a different way. It really well, is a different way of thinking. It was uh, really the first, wasn't it? Object-oriented. Uh, I think Simulator was technically the first one, mm, but Smalltalk okay. is probably the most influential one in terms yeah, of... Yeah, I remember spending time with Eiffel, too. Is you know, Yeah, Bertrand Eiffel's very Meyer. cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there's two strands of object. There's the kind of C++ style, which is like C with objects. Right. Or, or, or Pascal with objects. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's An the existing Smalltalk. language that tries to add in tooling around object yes. operations. Yeah. And then yeah. And using see, Smalltalk has a very weird model. It's it doesn't have source codes, it doesn't have <laughs> files, it doesn't have any of the stuff. You can't edit it in Vim. You know, 
Yeah. It's an image. Right. It's right. like well, it's like a, actually the nearest model would be like a container, like a Docker container or something. Oh, yeah. And you write the stuff, and then you save the container, you save the VM out, and then when you want to start writing more code, you like load up again and start typing. And there is no, there's no like you don't need the file system or anything except to save and load these images. Ah, so it's a very and you think this very bizarre, but what it does mean is when you start, you start your image up again, you're back in the debugger, right where you were. Every, everything mm -hmm. is exactly like frozen where it is. Interesting. And that's something that you don't do when you're working with you know source code. You kind of have to compile it and everything all the time. Yeah. That's not true in Smalltalk. It's very very dynamic, and it means you do a lot of stuff. Everything in Smalltalk is an object, including the compiler, the debugger, the stack frames, everything. And you can just like go in, and a lot of people write all the code in the debugger. You like write a couple of lines of code, you run it, and it's you know it kind of crashes when you when you haven't written something yet. And right. you just like fix that one line and run it again, and then you go to the next line and fix it again, almost like TDD. But in a in a kind of dynamic way, where you're programming, you're programming with live objects. Yeah, right. And it's, like I say, it's, it's, it makes it a very different experience from programming with. You're kind of living in the object. Yeah, yeah you're living. Right. You're living in it. You're swimming you think in about a, pool a lot object. of the modern development practices where we basically want to be able to create and recreate on demand. Yeah. This is a very different way of thinking about the problem. It is. But it's very much a, you're in the moment. You're in a dynamic yeah, system. Yeah, exactly. Time. And it's I mean, the model is like you're, there's this kind of world of objects that you're just living in mm -hmm. and you kind of manipulate them and play with them and then when you come back it's exactly the way you left it so it's like it's like a, a genuine workbench or a desktop people use desktop and workbench metaphors but small talk right. really is uh that metaphor kind of come to life it, everything is just like where you left it so did you just stay out of the managed memory world for a long time like when, when did well, small, you small talks managed memory yeah. but i mean i ne yeah i never i never learned c i right. mean i did i learned a little bit of c but i was never into that kind of low level stuff sure. i like very opinionated languages so i like small talk i like i really liked python mm -hmm. I used to do a lot of python i like prologue i like fourth i like languages that, okay this is a certain way of thinking right for a particular for purpose. For a particular arguably. purpose, yeah, yeah. They're not all. And so I, I kind of dislike kitchen sink languages. Like, well, you can do it this way, you can do it that way. It's a, it's a yeah. you know, it's a dessert topping, it's a floor polish. Where it's, you know, <laughs> like C sharp, right? Yeah. Well, C sharp. Actually, and C sharp's not so bad, but, yeah. you know, I'm thinking of things like Perl. Okay. I'm thinking of Scala. I'm a little bit worried about C sharp becoming a bit of a kitchen sink language because I think a language should do one thing and do it well. And if you try and do too many different things in the same language, it makes it very hard. I mean, she, you know, C Sharp already has a history, or .NET has a history. It's like twenty different ways of doing async. Sure, sure. You know, and then you have to know all of them, even if there's the current one, which is modern. When you're looking at old code bases, yeah, you got to see the you old. You got to see all the different old ways. Well, and Microsoft's always big on not breaking old codes. So yeah. they'll never take it. Once they yeah. ship a feature, they'll never yeah. take it away. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and the, you know, .NET before generic, so sometimes you have non-generic arrays, and sometimes right. you have generic arrays, and well, you know, what do you think about these immutable collections in terms of when? When you would use them and why you would use them. I think Immutable is great. I mean, in F Sharp actually has its own collection library, so mm -hmm. we tend not to use the .NET libraries too much. The, mm -hmm. We we use the array and so on, but the, it has its own immutable. Uh, immutability is. I actually did a talk here at uh, NDC Oslo about F Sharp for C Sharp developers, and one of the points I make is that one of the goals of F Sharp. Uh, is to have very predictable code. So the idea is you look at a piece of code and you can tell what it does without looking at the documentation, mm. without having to drill into the source code and find the implementation. It's very like, legible. Here is what the code, it's just like, I can see what it does just by looking at it. Mm. So that means no throwing exceptions, mm -hmm. means no nulls because they're invisible. Right. 
it means like if if I have something and I pass it into a function. So let's say I have a collection of customers and I pass it into a method that does something. Right. When it comes out, has that collection been changed? Right. I don't know. I can't tell. Maybe that collection is empty. I thought this was full and mm. I call this method that I don't know what it does and it comes back and now that collection's empty. Mm. Like, <laughs> how do I know that? You know? Right. So right. The, if in a mutable collection, I pass in, I guarantee it hasn't changed when yeah. it comes back. So, yeah, but yeah. it does beg the question, I mean, okay, let's say one of the functions is to create a new customer. So yeah. We, now we have to add a customer to our collection. Right. If it's mutable, I can't do that. That's right. Right. So a function that, let's say I have a method that adds a customer to that collection, it will return a new collection. But the thing is, it's now very obvious. So I look at the source code and I say add customer. Yeah. It actually returns a new collection. It's really obvious that it's doing something to the collection that, rather yeah. than just changing behind the so, scenes. So yeah. that's the idea, is that it's not that you can't change data. Yeah. It's that the structure underneath doesn't change. You know, strings in .NET are immutable. String, wouldn't it be awful if I passed a string into a method and I yeah. wasn't sure I was getting the same string back? Right, right. yeah, <laughs> or, just mess or, with it. I mean, and actually a good example is date time. In, in, in .NET, um, mm. date times are immutable, but I think in Java, they're not. Right. And people have all these things where somebody's messed with a, a date time. And, sure. you know, or, you know, I mean, integers are immutable. We don't expect that if I pass an integer into a method, it's gonna come back as a different integer. Right. right. So, so just, in other words, you return a new string yeah, and every exactly. time. Exactly. But the method, it makes it very clear because now rather than returning void, it returns a string. So I can see I pass in a string and I get a new string back. So I can tell that it's doing something just by even looking at how the method is designed. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and it, yeah, I like that certainty. That yeah. You, you kind of know when a new thing's coming in. Yeah. And, and I know, especially I have confidence that the old thing hasn't changed. That's, right. that's worth a lot. I mean, I mean, here's another good reason for having immutable stuff. Let's say you've you've gone through this trouble of validating the customers. Like, right. is the name right? Is everything okay? And I pass it around my program, and then sometime later I need to use. Is it still valid? Yeah, right. I don't know. Maybe somebody's changed it. Right. If it's immutable, mm. once I've validated that, I never have to check it ever again. Right. Yeah, Multi-threading is another yeah, good and, and, reason yeah. to have immutability, and yeah. this is the big problem with locking. Right. Yeah. So in, in object-oriented programming when we have multiple threads you have to lock an object like a collection yeah because if it changes you're, that's right. you're screwed that's right and you can never if it's mutability i mean you can say well they might have locked it or they might not have yeah How do i, have I, to trust I don't know i have to right. trust someone else's code yeah, and, right. and that's the thing about this is the thing about predictable code if, right. it, if it can't be changed i guarantee you can't break it no right. matter how bad you are yeah, right. you know and also it it, it stops I mean, you know, you always you talk about, well, somebody else does something stupid. But, of course, the person who's going to be doing something stupid is you. Yes. Right. And you're going to be doing it at, stupid like, 2 o'clock in the this. morning <laughs> because you're in a hurry to get something out the door. And six months later, you're going to regret doing something stupid. So right. I like languages like this because it stops me, it stops me doing something stupid. It, 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 you know, when I feel lazy... It's right. like, don't do that. You're going to regret that later on. You yeah. Know? It was a Brian Hunter who said that it's sort of like the, the, the bar going into a parking lot that says, yes, you have to be yeah, yes. below six foot six, below six yes. foot in order to get in here. Right. And right. if you, you know that it's not going to work, you don't do it. That's right. So it's a preventative thing. Yes. It's a safe, it's a kind of a safety it's a thing. Safety and because. when you, same with static typing, right? The same yeah. with static the typing. I will tell you you're wrong. When you're new to it, you feel this is a burden. It's like, oh, it's telling me, you know, the stupid compiler won't let me do this. The stupid compiler won't let me do that. <laughs> and it's, 
after a while, it's like you know. So initially, it's kind of it's kind of frustrating. It's right. kind of annoying. But when you get used to it, it's a, like a security blanket. It's like, oh, thank God, you know, this thing caught the it's a whole class of problems you don't yeah, exactly. have to think and, about. And it lends itself nicely to functional programming because yes. functions return values. And yes, it may return a new value. Exactly. Then, yeah. I mean, that's why functional programming. I mean, immutability has always been a part of functional program because right. a, 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 pu a pure mathematical function doesn't change anything. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, it, uh, all deterministic behavior, right? He's sort of completely deterministic, right? And since we're all old guys here, and we already started down the old guy <laughs> path, you know, it, it's not unreasonable to say, why did object-oriented development win in the 90s? That's a good question, because I remember when object-oriented programming was new. Yeah. That dates me. You know, and, well, like, and there was also that battle in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, people saying, oh, this, this newfangled object-oriented programming stuff, right. I don't know, it's this all a bit weird. efficient. Yeah, well, it was that whole declarative versus imperative. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, that was the argument yeah. back then. Multiple had, uh, inheritance. Yeah, oh. they, had, oh, they had all sorts of stuff. That's a good question. Why I think, first of all, functional programming was still very academic. Yep. Mm. And I think object-oriented programming has always been much more sort of user-friendly. I, so I you, also you know. looked at it, I thought it utilized the hardware better. You know, the, the, the side effect of immutability is you yes. tend to copy yes. a lot of memory around, yes. right? Because you never modify memory. Yeah. Where the object approach, you tend to sh conserve memory. We're all working on the same piece of memory But over it's also over. the yes. way our brains yeah. work, right? We like yeah. to encapsulate real-world domain yeah. things into things that we yeah. can tinker with. Uh, and, and the words, you know, object is, is is trying to... The whole idea is you emulate the real world. Yeah. You have little, and the words that, ob, you know, if you look at the object-oriented patterns, you know, it's an adapter pattern, it's yeah. a strategy pattern, it's a mm -hmm. factory pattern. You know, if you look at the terminology in the functional world, it's a monoid and it's a functor and it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's a little more off-putting. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> a little right. esoteric. Yeah. I just, I think, you know, as a, as a guy with a strong hardware background, when you started seeding, I'm thinking about old functional language like scheme yeah when you sat or even prologue you sat that beside c plus plus yeah it used less memory and it ran faster on a single threaded machine yeah, yeah. yeah like and then in the 2000s the hardware shifts on a we have more memory we know what to do with right right yeah. and the cpus are up to their eyeballs in cycles right and suddenly those constraints that gave object orientation an advantage mm -hmm. aren't there anymore mm -hmm. yeah. and the costly part of object orientation which mm -hmm. is the mutex yeah. and yeah. locking strategies yeah. that becomes the expensive part and right. we want to program a different way yeah and then we we fumble around for a long time trying to come up with different parallel execution pass for objects mm. until we kind of figure out, you know, maybe it's the object that's the problem. Right. Right. And the parallelism is one thing, but also one of the things about object-oriented programming is dependency management. Yes. That's every, every, that is like the number one pain now for everybody. Right. Well, but I think we should just acknowledge inheritance for the most part. It's just a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not just inheritance, but every object can talk to every other object. Yes. And Joe Armstrong, Erlang guy, has a great quote. He's like, I wanted a banana. But I got the gorilla in the whole jungle. In the whole jungle, <laughs> it's like I just want this one yeah. little thing. Hold that thought while we take a moment to pay the bills. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud platform. What? Isn't this a .NET show? Yeah, .NET runs on the Google Cloud platform, man. Everything in .NET? You bet. All the .NET Core libraries and more, including 200-plus Google.com and cloud services. Hey, John Skeet's behind it. He's a genius. The John Skeet? The rescue the princess John Skeet from Stack Overflow? <laughs> yeah, the one and only. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine, which is Google's hosted Kubernetes environment, and it runs like, well... 
Google. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. I'm reading it now. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. Yep. You can get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. Also, there are PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And if you need help, there are a great set of partners to get workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. .NET on Google. Who knew? You're listening to .NET Rocks with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell, and Scott Flashen is here. We're talking F-sharp and functional programming and bananas and gorillas. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, there was a great quote. I think Don Box, I saw this on his Facebook page once. He says, I had a problem, so I used Java, and now I have a problem factory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, that the, you're expecting, and now I have two problems. Yeah. Exactly. Now I have yeah, a problem. That's, that's, a, that's a great quote, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great one. But it's, I mean, it is very interesting to think that languages reflect the hardware of the day, and then hardware changes and the languages don't automatically catch up. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, there was a big, I mean, Audio Orange Programming, I mean, Java especially did one good thing, which is it introduced, managed... Uh, memory and a yes. VM. Yeah. Take all that stuff off the table. Yeah, and so, you know, because there was a big thing, oh, garbage collection is terrible. And garbage collection was relatively slow, you know, when mm -hmm. it first started. Yeah. But now that's fine. All modern languages, you know, not all, but it's considered that unless you're doing systems program, garbage right. collection is it's, fine. Yeah, we so have a lot of broke, memory. It broke through that barrier. Yeah. And functional languages pretty much need garbage we collection. We were doing garbage so. collection in Quick Basic. I yeah. mean, that was, yeah. you know, but just, you could just create strings, string, 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 yeah, string, yeah. string, and that was one of the big but, things about yeah. BASIC. But you could, it was kind of a big deal, too, when you ran yeah. that, you better time it right, because yeah. the machine's going to go away yeah. for a while. Yeah. Well, Lisp and Smalltalk always had garbage collection, too, right. but they were always considered slow and heavy. I remember yeah. the first Smalltalk program, it used two meg of memory. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. And it's like, oh, my God, that's so, that's <laughs> two so meg of memory. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> What do you do with all that memory? And now it's like, Mega. you know, like a one in one tab in Chrome is like 50 gigabytes. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? It's crazy, yeah. yeah how many don't copies? look at that task manager. It's just going to make you angry. <laughs> how many copies of Chrome.exe do you have yes, running? Yes. Well, I'm going to look right now. So, yeah. Three. I mean, it's just the expectations have changed so much yeah it's pretty funny yeah right. and it's just again the hardware is continue to improve continue to improve and we have what we can now address a different class of problems yeah yeah when I, we first started talking to people about f sharp you know that it was i i think at least my opinion at the time was that what i got out of it was it was kind of a mathy language and good for numerical analysis and big sets of data and would you ever use it for you know off-the-shelf software. Forms right? over data. Yeah, forms over data. And I think it was Ted who said, yes, yeah, we use it for everything. And, you know, then other people would come on and say, nah, not really. So what is the consensus here in 2017 about using F-sharp as a standard all-purpose I think it's a fantastic all-purpose language. Yeah. I just did another talk here at NEC, which is on using F-sharp for domain-driven design. Mm -hmm. So domain-driven design is sort of the least... Yeah, yeah, it's also very object-oriented. Yeah, it's considered very object-oriented, yeah. but it turns out that the, the type system F-sharp, what they call algebraic type system, so it's a jargony word, but it's extremely good for modeling business rules mm -hmm. and for modeling data structures, and mm. it's very, very expressive. And, you, and because it's very concise, you can actually fit a whole domain onto like a couple of pages. So you now have code which is kind of executable documentation. It's one of the dreams of kind of agile. It's like sure. the code is the design and the 
you know, executable documentation and don't try and have separate things. Funny enough, functional languages, I think, achieve that better than object-oriented languages. So uh, in F-sharp, you said a couple of pages. Is yes. that like a module or what we would yes. consider a class file? Yeah, so if I, if I, I mean, I, the example I give is like, you know, let's say we take uh, payments from an e-commerce site and we say, okay, we take cash, we take checks, and we take uh, credit cards. Yeah. So now, in, if I was doing an object-oriented language, I'd have like a, a base class or an interface or something, mm. a payment method interface, mm. and then I'd have like three subclasses mm. for each one. In C sharp, I now have four files because mm-hmm. I'd have a file for each thing. Yeah. Right. In F sharp, I'd have four lines, four lines of code. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I then had another thing, which is like a credit card type and a, a money type or something, I would put them all in the same file. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have one file for every single type. And when you say lines of code, four functions? Four, yeah, four. No, the, the definition of a payment method oh. as being three different choices I see. would actually be you say, say type payment method equals. Cash or check or credit card. That's okay. like that's the entire definition. Yeah, right? like, like an enumeration. Kind yeah, of. kind of like an exactly like an enum kind of yeah. thing. But you've also described a business rule. I've described. A, if I've I want to add exactly. a new one, I just I add just a new or. Right. So it's all in one place, mm-hmm. and all all the the concepts. So, so like in domain driven design, the goal is to try and understand the concepts that the business uses, and to have the same mental model. The developers. Uh, use the same mental model as the business experts, mm-hmm. and yeah. so you the, and you're using you're trying to communicate that same mental model, mm. and if you can express that in code, all on one page, like we have a payment method, and here's the three things we have: the kind of credit cards we take, the kind of money that we, the you know, currencies that we right. take. You put them all on one page. There's your documentation. Yeah, no, but it's also powerful. compilable code. So that's I think that's fantastic. Right. I mean, there's more, and there's more code to come. Yes, the implement, that. and that's one of the things in, in functional programming, you separate the behavior from the data. Right. So obviously in object-oriented programming, it's all about putting them together in the same place. Yes. Mm. But if you separate the actual behavior, then the implementation of how you process a payment or something, right. that's buried in the code somewhere. Yeah. But the actual concepts, the fact that you have something called a payment method, and you have something called a currency, and you have something called money... That's all up front at the very beginning. It's not it's scattered like throughout a, the thing. A, in C plus plus a header file. It's like right? a, exactly. It would be just like <laughs> a header file. Declaration. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a funny, funny sort of it is. Yeah, a header file is quite a good analogy. Right. Yeah. But so it's like a header file that has everything, all the concepts that you use in the business, mm. and that header file is written in such a way that even a non-developer can read it. Yeah, mm. and can and can get these core concepts. There's exactly. obviously going to be details behind it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But. But the fact that you can say, you can now actually ask smart questions. Yes. What kind of cash? Yes. How many credit cards? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And what are all, our rules around checks? Exactly. Exactly. So you can try and capture all that. And that's, uh, that's I think that's great. Mm-hmm. They're very compelling and a great way to just think about, yeah. if I'm getting ready to program functionally, mm-hmm. I want to think in those terms. Yes. Getting these declarations done up front. Exactly. And then going into the details. Exactly. So where do objects fit into F-sharp? I mean, because it is an object-oriented functional language. Yes, which you, is it's a hybrid strange. language. You can do pure functional programming and you can do object-oriented programming and it will it will do both very nicely. Mm. It's it's We consider it like a functional-first language, which means you, you it kind of leans towards functional programming. Mm-hmm. Do you ever mix the, the two? I yeah, mean, you can, but you can totally mix. Sometimes objects... objects yeah, to functions. Sometimes objects are the best way of doing something. So right. it, 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 we're not like... You know, you always have to use function. It's like, you know, purist that way. Yeah, People and then certainly within a function, you're going to make a call into an API. You're yes. going to have to use objects. Exactly, and one way yeah. we use objects a lot is which we have to integrate with C-sharp. Yeah. So with the integration between C-sharp and F-sharp is very nice mm. because 
pretty, you know, you can make your F sharp code look like C sharp code from C sharp. So sure. mm-hmm. you, you just write a DLL and F sharp, and things come through in C sharp very nicely. Mm. If you if you stick to things that C sharp understands, not yeah. there's some things in F sharp that C sharp doesn't understand. So you just have to avoid those in your sort of public API. Are you able to use Link? Yeah, you can totally use Link in F sharp. Yeah, I mean that's a very functional yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can use interfaces. You can use objects. You can use. Mm. All, all the stuff that C-Sharp has, you can use some F-Sharp. Mm-hmm. All the stuff. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now. Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to tell an immutable joke. Oh. You know, I tried to change the punchline, but it got a read-only error. <laughs> 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 all right. It's actually time to give away DevExpress D experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. You know, I think touch-enabled solutions are today, Yeah, actually. Or whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Stephen Daniel Ellis. Congratulations, Stephen. Yes. Golf clap for you, sir. Yay. Stephen just won the DevExpress D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from them, just for being a member of the fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And now we'd like to ask our guest, Scott, if you had $5,000 today to spend on technology, what do you think you'd buy? Well, that's a good question. I have to say that I am not like a gadget guy. Mm-hmm. I actually don't really like gadgets and, and, and a little bit of a Luddite, to be honest. I really like software, but mm-hmm. I actually don't like hardware. Well, <laughs> it doesn't have to be tech. I mean, technology so, yes. is a big word. So, yeah. And, so, and yeah. this is the thing. One of my personal models is like, be a producer, not a consumer. Right. So yes. don't just like passively suck in Twitter. So I would probably spend that money on things related to music. I, I play a musical instrument. Oh, what do you so play? I play keyboards and bass. Nice. And so, so you I might would get probably, a Nord stage too? I would probably, yeah. I'd probably get... <laughs> 5,000 bucks. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice piano. Yeah. 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 We have one too. Good keys. Yeah. You have one? I, I have a Nord stage 2 EX and a Nord Electro 3. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. And you know, the Nords are awesome because you can download a free app where you can just change out the samples and there's a whole library of free samples online and they're all and they're, great stuff. I, mean, I got a story about this mm-hmm. actually. My brother Jay, Jay Franklin, who mm-hmm. was he was on the show a long time ago as a Java developer. Because he still is a Java developer. We well, try not to hold it against yeah, him. Yeah, right. And he also is one of the editors of .NET Rocks. So mm-hmm. he, he, he's an editor. So he's listening right now and we're making fun of him? Okay. Uh, no, this isn't Jay's show. Okay. This is Brandon's show. Brandon will tell him. Brandon will tell him. Well, anyway... He got asked to play keyboards in a Led Zeppelin cover band okay. for one gig. And they were coming to New London. They were playing at the Garden. It was one of those classic albums bands. And uh, they, they did all of Led Zeppelin 4. 
Awesome. And so he had to do Cashmere. Cashmere is one of the tunes that wow. they did. That is not and, easy. And it turns out that the Nord library includes all of those Mellotron sounds that they used on that song. Fantastic. <laughs> so we found the exact sound for that cheesy wow. synth mm-hmm. string thing, yeah, yeah. the Mellotron. Mellotron, yeah. And it was perfect. And he was just, he was like, Oh, they, they, they told him, they said, we're going to hijack you. And yeah, you're coming hey, with you're us. You're coming with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he was never seen again. Yeah. No, those Nord keyboards are great. Good machines. I mean, you, and you literally are talking about a grand piano sound from a grand piano. Oh, sure. Digitized. Multi-sampled. Yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, well, talking about technology, I mean, between the 80s and, the, and today, in terms of the sampling and the yeah. so on, the keyboards... Yeah, digital keyboards are so much better. They can do whatever they want, whatever you want. We have enough capacity now. It's it's almost trivial to to be able to deal with all that. I don't know if they're functionally programmed, but probably not. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of asynchrony happening there. Yes, definitely. You you definitely want no interrelations when when Mm -hmm. not necessary. Mm -hmm. I I guess one of the arguments because you know when you look at from the thirty thousand foot view, maybe I'm an enterprise architect or a CTO. F sharp is a smaller adopted language. It's harder to find people for. Yeah. I mean, how do you make that argument for why we should go this way? What what advantages are giving us? Well, that's that's a good question. There's some technical advantages which you can be more productive with a smaller team. Mm-hmm. So you save money both ways. You can get to market faster. Deliver more features Deliver, in less time. That's always a good argument. Right. And we actually have some I mean, people always say that, but we actually have a, some proofs there was a, a, a team uh, I think I don't know, five C-sharp developers were trying to write this thing for, like, for a year, and they gave up. And then they went down to a team of two F-sharp developers, and they delivered the functionality in like six months. Right. Wow. So there were quite a few. I mean, these are anecdotal stories. Yeah, and, it, and it's always arguments either way on yeah. that. But. but the other thing is that the, the argument about hiring people, it's like, how can we find a good F-sharp developer? Um, when I've, With I've 20 been years in, experience. Yeah, I've been, hi- I've been <laughs> in the seat of hiring people, and it's really hard to filter out. It, you know, that you get thousands of, of resumes. Right. It's really hard to figure them out. Right. If they have something like, you know, if you, if you put out a thing like we're, we're hiring F-sharp developers, you will get a series of really high-quality people applying. Right, right. So it's a great filter. If you want to hire really good people, you say, I'm looking for F-sharp people or Haskell people mm. or something, or Camel people, whatever. Right. And you will get people who are very experienced and very, and also who are guaranteed to be interested in learning. Right. Sure. So yeah, if right. I want to hire for a team, that's you know that's the kind of by doing that you've got an automatic filter on mm-hmm. the yeah. thing. And the same thing for you know training people in house. It's not that hard if you've got a good team. They will be want they will want to learn new stuff. And, it, and, and it's, it's a, a strong way, argument too. I would rather you wanted to learn it than yes. you knew it. Yes, exactly. And I mean, if you if you have a good team, one of the problems if you do have a good team and you want to keep them in house and you don't want them to to quit and go somewhere else. You want to, you know, you want to get them excited about new stuff. You want to train them on new stuff. Right. And if they're, in, you know, if they're good people, they want to learn new stuff themselves. Right. And, and really, so all you need to do is provide them time to learn. Exactly. And it's, it, it's you know, especially with F Sharp, if they're already using C Sharp, they already know the .NET libraries. Sure. And they know and the tools. Uh, someone here said, I think it takes, I know, four to six weeks for someone to be productive in F Sharp. Interesting. And this is the, this is the session you were doing here as yeah. well. It's like, yeah. so you're a C Sharp developer. Here's yeah. what you need to know. Yeah. You know, Mark Seaman famously said about combining F Sharp with ASP.NET, mm-hmm. it's not trivial, but it's doable. <laughs> Are there people doing ASP.NET and sure? In I have a, I have an ASP.NET F Sharp app on my GitHub. 
So no no special gotchas there. No, the I mean, only because the, you're dealing with the objects of the ASP net. Well, it, it's what's tricky is is mixing paradigms. So right, if I right. do if I'm using I can totally write a, 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 an ASP.NET app in F sharp if I stick to the object oriented model. Sure. Because everything in there is designed to be object oriented. Web API no problem. That's and so, fine. Yeah, web API web API is no problem. So if you're object oriented, it's fine. Yeah. It's when you switch between functional and object oriented gets tricky. Sure. There is uh, Suave, which is a, an F sharp web uh, framework is a functional web framework and it uses F uh, functional concepts like composition and pipelining and stuff rather than the ASP.NET. So, so you know, that's an alternative if you want to stay functional. Would you be able to, let's say, do a web API with that? Uh, well, you basically, you, rather than using the standard web API, it kind of bypasses, it has its own kind of front end. Oh, neat. And then the other alternative is to use like web API, you know, the controls and stuff, you do object-oriented, and then when you get into the domain, that's where you switch. So your right. kind of internal implementation is written in a functional style. So you can and gotcha. you can mix and match in the same code base. Interesting. So the so the web API has the standard put get and all that yeah, stuff, and yeah. it's calling into your domain. Yeah. Which is all functional. Yeah, exactly. Is it necessarily faster executing like parallel execution? Is any of that actually true? Can you measure it? Um, yeah, I've done some parallel stuff. Parallelism, I think, actually is a little bit overrated. I don't disagree with you because it's like, mm -hmm. well, if we make it parallel, and it's like. It'll be yeah, better. Even, if, you know, even yeah. on a, on the same machine, you, you you never get a two x speed up. Right. Right. You get like a if you're lucky, you get a one and a half speed up, and right. if you're not lucky, you get like a one point one speed up. Well, right? and I and I am fundamentally writing parallel code. It's yeah. like writing plumbing into your yeah. code. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then you say, well, okay, we'll scale out horizontally and run on millions of machines. Like then now you have network overhead and mm -hmm. you have to have error handling. So, so I would I I'm wary about. Parallelism, unless you really, really, really are CPU bound. Right. Mostly you are. Yeah. And typically, in my experience, you've got bad algorithms. Mm -hmm. you know, don't mm -hmm. use a list. Don't iterate over a million items in a linked list. Yeah. Start, let's a, start you, with rule number one. Yeah, use a, show, yeah, you're yeah. not walking through a million exactly. items. That's not a good idea. Use a dictionary <laughs> or use, you know, use use the appropriate algorithm. That will probably give you a much, you know, an order of magnitude speed up sure. more than using parallelism. Mm. Make all your I.O. async. Don't ever block on anything. Mm. Basic, and you know, find your hotspot and profile it. I mean, another one of the problems you do run into in F sharp, just like you do in C sharp, you know, you tend to sometimes you tend to over allocate memory, right. and there's a hotspot where you're like creating millions of objects. Find that hotspot, you know, turn everything into an array and and ints or whatever, so that you don't use, so you're not doing any allocations. Nothing fat. Yeah, heavy exactly. Like that. And then and then, but that little hotspot then you, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest of the code you can use nice things, and that's I think this is true for any any. It's exactly the same things in the performance things you can do in F sharp are basically the same thing as you can in C sharp. I do really appreciate the sentiment that you don't parallelism; you'd rather be asynchronous. Yeah, I think async is the big win. Sure. And and F sharp async is really really nice because in F sharp async model async is part of the type system. Mm -hmm. So when I when I look at something, so again talking about making something obvious. So if I look at a method right. and it says it returns an async string. Right. I say, oh, okay. This is. I know that it's an async. You know, it's going to be an async. It's not buried in the in the in code. The code. Yeah. yeah. There's no there's no commands for this. It's just literally. The, yes. This is the type of return it's going to exactly. Have. So I can tell just by looking at it what it's doing. So I think the question in everybody's mind right now is, how many ways are there of looking at a turtle? 
<laughs> well, that is a good question. I, I wrote a blog post called 13 Ways of Looking at a Turtle, and I have a talk as well. In my blog post, I ended up actually going to 15 ways. Okay. That's yeah, a lot of turtles. That is a lot of turtles. And it's a riff on a, there's a well-known poem, uh, 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. So mm. that's sort of my riff. That's why I chose 13. Um, <laughs> I just, that was interesting because I wanted to take, when you're trying to learn new stuff, you know, you sometimes you have these really complicated domains. It's like I want to pick something that everyone knew, which is like turtle graphics. And right. like, here's lots of different ways of doing the same thing. Everyone knows how turtle graphics work. Yeah, the, this is the thing where you program the turtle to. Yeah, with you the program. You go, color, you can go forward, go forward and you can left, turn left, yeah. and you can turn right, and you can make a red pen and a blue pen or whatever. And that's it. And you can draw little shapes, kind right. of like etch a sketch or something. You logo, know? I think. Logo. Was the, logo was the original turtle graphics. The turtle right. graphics. Yeah. And it's a great way, it's really, really simple, and you can do quite cool things, and, and you know, as a way of learning programming, it's great for kids, because they can right. see a real turtle. Yeah. Sure. So When you say real? Yeah, well, you actually had, a, I think they really had a real turtle that moved around on the ground. <laughs> oh, uh, it's not a real turtle. It's a, <laughs> Let's it's not a get toy that. turtle. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay. So in this, in this thing, I started like, with an object-oriented turtle, and then a functional turtle, mm -hmm. and then a turtle, an event source turtle, <laughs> and, you know, a state monad turtle, <laughs> and a... And a all the different kinds of things you can do with dependency this model. injected turtles. Dependency injected nice. turtles. That's why, right. and I had a abstract data abstract turtle. Data turtle. I mean, I just yeah, I, had, I had fun with it. It was kind <laughs> no of silly. Kidding. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you can see how the techniques change in these sure, different things. Sure. And obviously, it's overkill. I mean, to like have an event sourced turtle, turtle maybe totally overkill for the design. Right. But you know, and sometimes it you know. Well, you also when you talk about deliberate practice. Right. We've had this conversation with Mark Seaman before. Sure, like, yeah. Because all too often as programmers, we're only doing the work. Yeah. We never go out to do practice in the sense that and my, you're both musicians so you know what yeah. deliberate practice is right, right, playing right. scales is not playing a song right. it is practice right, yep. right. so to take a simple programming problem right. and to exercise your skill yeah. a dozen plus different ways right, right. Yep. that's deliberate practice yeah, yep, yeah. It sure is yeah and it's it's a great way yeah it's fun as yeah, well it is fun Playing scales isn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, and again, and I've said this so many times, but it's like, I respect the ability of musicians, especially watching Carl for many, many years, because I watch him practice. I watch him earn his skill. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, and I feel like as developers, that we spend a little more time earning our skill. Yeah. It, so many things get better. Yeah. It's and a it, confidence builder. It's even this, too, that after, you know, when you first start playing scales, when you're learning an instrument, you don't see your progress right. immediately. But, you know, now after 30 whatever years of playing guitar, I can sit down and with, you know, my hand isn't loose or limber. And within 10, 15 minutes of playing scales, I'm flying all over the You're playing board. better. And I can see that I'm playing better. Right. So, and in programming is the same way. The, the more seasoned you get, the less time it takes to, to learn new things, to adopt new patterns yeah and you know you can see the benefit right but also in, be aware when you're not pressing against the edge of your skill too yeah. right i mean that's yeah. the i think the bigger thing you said there is like i know i'm not playing up to snuff my right. hands are stiff right right and it, i wonder if you can look at code and go this is not the best code i've written for this problem mm. like, right that you actually want to be better can know where your edge is right yeah and the more exposed the more different paradigms you understand the more different techniques you know it's a toolkit sure so that you have you know if you only know one thing if you know you, everything's a hammer and everything's a nail yeah. right it's like the more different things you know 
it increases your confidence sure. and it makes sure. you it's like well like in this situation I'll do this this situation I'll do that yeah, and yeah. I've got a dozen ways to knock that nail down exactly right. you, oh exactly. he doesn't like my hammer fine right. Right. introduce me to Mr. Prick right, right. Like, there's ways to solve the problem exactly. and that's I think that's an part. abstract data nail <laughs> <laughs> and, there you uh, go <laughs> I'm looking for an event driven nail here yeah <laughs> it also seems like an interesting way to to explore a new language too yes because you know you're coming from C sharp and you've sort of done quote unquote traditional C sharp because I've definitely seen very functionally written C sharps yeah. to then you're going to tend to take your C sharp workflows with you to yes. F sharp yes. and then complain that F sharp's not that good that's right because yeah. it's trying to do C sharp thing that's right and I I, I personally think yeah a lot of people when they learn a new language the first thing you're trying to do is well how do i do my old thing in this new language right and i think you'll be better off forgetting everything you know mm -hmm. it's like forget yeah. anything about objects forget anything about inheritance pretend you're a complete beginner yeah and then you've actually got a lot better chance of learning because a, a, a good language encourages a certain way of thinking right and if you bring an old way of thinking to it you're actually going to get very frustrated yes. like you know mutable variables and stuff it's just yeah there are things which are really awkward to do if you're trying to do it in in an imperative style right and really the language really doesn't want you to do it that way and if you're fighting the language that's telling you something rather mm -hmm. than getting frustrated you say i'm obviously doing something wrong let yeah. me try and figure out what the right idioms yeah. are in this language yeah presume it's you yeah right? exactly. that there was an intent here that yes. these people are been successful with and this if other people and the other thing is to look around you and it's like, are other people doing this okay? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Right. Yeah. And I have noticed that the F Sharp community, and maybe it's because it's as small as it is, mm -hmm. is quite diligent about caring for its own and in bringing new people yes. in. Yes. Yeah, we're super friendly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you kind of need to because not a ton of you. Not and a ton, no. Your blog is a really good example of that, F Sharp for Fun and Profit. There's some great graphics here about how you, you know, the way that you show things with screenshots and videos and stuff, it's just very approachable. I, I'm a very big fan of using pictures. I mean, I, you know, we stare at code all day long, but I actually think in many situations, you know, a good diagram can, you know, it's worth a thousand words. It's like right. you can explain things. And it also makes it, it just makes it fun to read, you know. Right. And I try and use, I, 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 on my blog, I, I, I try not to use the word monad anywhere. It's like I have a list of banned words. <laughs> That's great. And monad is one of them. <laughs> yeah. And you have an official ebook? I have, yes. People uh, asked me to, they wanted to read the blog offline. Right. So I went on to Gitbook, which is really nice. And uh, Gitbook is, uh, my, my blog's written in Markdown. Gitbook uses Markdown. So yeah. I just had to tweak it a little bit and I just upload it to a Git repo and it turns it into like a PDF file. No kidding. And so you can read it offline. And, and I was I thought, well, a couple of people would want to do that. It turns out there's a lot of people who want to read it offline. Yeah. If they're commuting or something, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the Gitbook's been very popular. It's really interesting that they just sort of make it that way. And the fact that people want to do that, too. Yeah, I was shocked, actually. I, yeah. I thought, who wants to, you know, who wants But, yeah, a lot of people do. Well, so, uh, you know, the story is the, the Martian, Andy Weir. Yeah, originally right. wrote the book as a series of blog posts. That's so right. I think it made a new movie. Right, he wrote right. it as a series of blog posts. People were like, "Hey, I, I don't want to read on your blog. Do you mind like putting it together into a an e-reader file?" Right. So he puts it together an e-reader file, and they're finally like, "Well, geez, it's even too hard to sideload that. Would you mind putting it in Amazon?" So right. I just well, now it can't be free because yeah. Amazon insists on a certain number of pennies, and right. now he's charging a buck for it. Yeah, yeah. and then he still sells. <laughs> then it, he sells tens of thousands of copies, like many more than it, than anybody ever downloaded it off the blog. Right. 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 Yeah. You know what? Convenience of delivery. Yes. It's very interesting. I have actually thought about putting my blog on Kindle just 
<laughs> because you know, for people who who just want that, it's sure. just one less thing to think I, about. I do read periodicals like Foreign Affairs and the MIT reports off of Kindle mm-hmm. for exactly that reason because it's offline in the airplane. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, there it's, it is. It's good easy. To go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's worth a couple of bucks for the convenience. Really. Sure, hundred yeah. percent. You know, I'm willing to pay for that just yeah. to, to lower the bar. Eh? Yeah. If you're willing to buy a cup of coffee, exactly. It's right? the same price a cup of coffee. I yeah. mean, how much can how can how can complain yeah. about? If I spend an hour with a cup of coffee, I'm not that happy. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but I you know, an hour with a good magazine. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty exactly. happy with that. Exactly. So it's very interesting what delivery mechanisms work. And what also surprised me is, you know, looking at the analytics for my blog, there are people all over the world. So I was also surprised because you tend to think, you know, your friends will read it and the people you've met and stuff. No, I have people, you know, obviously in, in, in Europe and America, but, you know, in Afghanistan and sure. in, in like Africa and places I'm, you know, all over the world. It's, it's got to be very search driven. Yeah. I mean, the Internet is people a wonderful are thing. You, people talk about how the Internet, you know, kind of flattens everything and everything's right. accessible it's yeah. like to actually see it in practice yeah and be part when, of that that creation yeah it's, it's wonderful it's actually a very nice thing yeah, very very compelling aspect to it uh any other bits folks who are considering jumping into f-sharp places to start things they need to worry about especially as they're coming from the c-sharp world well the f-sharp.org is the the main website for f-sharp that's the f-sharp software foundation right. and that there it has instructions on how to download F-Sharp, and it has resources, various libraries, and, and, and so on. And, and, and just to be clear, like you don't have to own a copy of Visual Studio to get F-Sharp. No, no, they, F-Sharp is the open source, it's free. free. Yeah. If you're on Linux, for example, VS Code with the Ionide plugin. Mm-hmm. So VS Code obviously is cross-platform, and Ionide is the plugin that makes it support F-Sharp syntax and so on. Mm. Highly recommended if you don't want something heavyweight like Visual Studio. Visual Studio Community Edition is free anyway. Yes, there's lots of libraries. There's an F-Sharp uh, Slack channel. If you, if you join the F-Sharp Software Foundation, which is free, uh, you get invited to the F-Sharp Slack channel, and there's a beginner's yeah. area, and there's you know all sorts of stuff. Yep. Twitter mm. is a great place. You put an F-Sharp hashtag on Twitter, and you're guaranteed to get retweets. Just, just go on Twitter and say, well, you know, I want to see if this is true. If you uh, people retweet F sharp hashtags, right. <laughs> see, see how many retweets you get. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Well, we'll have to put F sharp tags on this show when we and publish then, it. Yeah, right? there you go. Yeah, absolutely the case. I like the uh, you have a blog post here. Why use F sharp? And it's not just text. Like you're actually showing code and saying, "Yeah, look at this. Look how awesome this is." Not cluttered up with coding noise like curly brackets, semicolons. Really yes. consider that noise like ceremony. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything which isn't ex- explaining anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, curly braces and stuff. Th- to me, they don't add anything. Right. I've used, uh, you know, a lot of programming languages. If you come from they C languages, you think that's the way it is to be. Sure. But if you, you know, if you know small talk and prologue and Python, it's like, yeah, you don't need curly braces. Yeah. They a lot of them just use indenting. Yeah, indenting. That's space. what you need. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting when you when you think about a language like C, where indenting isn't code yeah you do it for clarity yeah right. but it's only discipline yeah and there's bugs right i mean that classic well i think was it the ssl but when it, various bugs caused by you know Bad thinking it. it was indenting and it you know it was it was escaping the if statement and it wasn't just because it looked like it was and right like, wow yeah. yeah it's very yeah. interesting that that's that's sort of the reality if, and, of and if it, when we remember the code is written for people the compiler can figure out the yeah. code the pe- people the can't code, figure out the, the exactly the code is written when you write code you're writing to communicate with other developers right and so you indent your code to, to communicate that you've got a block right well if you're going to do that anyway why know, shouldn't it why be part of the compiler's understanding exactly and yeah. be validated so that you do yeah. it consistently exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a very interesting truth as opposed to the punctuation approach which 
while the compiler has no problem with that, just like we'd have no compiler That's problems right. with spaces, it's harder on the people. Well, I mean, look at that kind of obfuscated C competition yes. they have, yeah. right? It's like, right. obviously, the compiler has no problem with it. People no, no. can't even you, read it. You, you know? write some horrifying stuff. Or you can start <laughs> with horrifying stuff, like Lisp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you Languages see, yeah. built, or Perl. I, I built to be yeah, uninterpretable. Well, Perl, Perl is fine. But, but you see, the thing about Lisp... Yeah. The cartoon swear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lisp is okay, but it's very hard to write obfuscated F-sharp right. and obfuscated Python because of the yeah. way... That, so that's, to me, that's a big plus. It's yeah. a really interesting aspect on all that. Yeah. So the async keyword is just something that you can put on any code or any function that you're calling yes. in F-sharp, right? And that's it's it. Not a key, it's, it's not a keyword. So the okay. difference is one of the difference between F-sharp and C-sharp. In C-sharp, to add async, they added a special keyword for right. async and await. Right. And then they changed the compiler. In yeah. F-sharp, async is kind of like a library, as it were. It's not part of the language. Mm. It's something you could have written yourself, and they just include it as part of the standard library. Okay. Uh, it's just another type. Just like in the list class, mm -hmm. it's just a it's just a class. It's not you know you could have written yourself if it wasn't part of .NET. Right. Sure. The async is exactly the same. It's mm -hmm. just another thing that's plugged in. So yeah. you can use all the standard language tools with it. And what it means is F# -sharp is much more extensible. Mm -hmm. So if you want to have another, uh, people use the same technique. Uh, there's a, a fantastic library called uh, Embrace, mm. which is kind of a cloud-based distributed thing. And basically, they wrote their th the little thing called Embrace. And that's their keyword, as it yeah. were. And you say, embrace this, and it does. You, you write some code, and it distributes the code that you write all over the cloud. <laughs> so wow. it, you say, let's say you want to say, I want to loop through this list. I've got a million items in this list. I want right. to loop through them in the parallel. Mm. You just like wrap it in an embrace block, mm. and it will take those million things and, and spin up a million, however many machines you've got running. It will take that task and spit it over those things and it's done using something they didn't have to change the compiler or anything wow. you get that for free wow, very, very cool very cool one more thing as a musician have you done any audio programming in f-sharp no that's I, but yeah, i'd be interested to do that there's somebody who has done it though hmm. um but that's something yeah, i don't know i haven't done that myself yeah that'd be interesting i know there's a great i use n audio by mark uh -huh. keith right mark keith yeah um, i've heard i've heard that's good yeah, yeah it's great yeah and i use that in c-sharp all the time but i just wonder how you know how how you might approach that in F yeah well if you're using a library like that you can totally use it from presumably you could use it from F sharp yeah, just like anything else of course so, yeah. yeah but I just wonder if there's any benefit to doing of course there is a benefit you know to doing digital signal processing that kind of stuff I don't know that's a good question right. yeah there is one thing there is some libraries for F sharp that work with GPUs yeah. or, and CUDA and stuff so you can actually write your code in F sharp and it will compile it to something that's Run on the GPU. Like, think about Echo or yeah. Reverb. Yeah. That seems like a very good solution for yeah. F Sharp because yeah. that's basically doing a function yes. on audio yes. and changing it. Well, I mean, time. audio, the, yeah, I mean, audio, the, the model of how you do audio processing yeah. is exactly this kind of pipeline thing. You run it through yeah. this filter, then you run it through this filter, and then you tweak it like this, and right. it's like, you know, that's functional programming. It is. Like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is great stuff. Scott, thanks very much. Okay, excellent. It's been very enlightening. Yeah, fun to talk to you, man. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the MCU.